Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Practical difficulties this morning, I suppose. Good morning. Good morning. It's kind of a yucky morning, but it's a good one anyway. How many of you like windy days? You like windy days? Hmm. You like windy days? Why? Why do you like windy days? Feels fresh. Hmm? Feels fresh. Feels fresh. Okay. What? How about you? Exactly. How did you know that that's what I have in my thing today? Were you peeking? I don't know. Yes. Windy days can be wonderfully refreshing. They can be days when you can fly a kite. They can also be days when you have to change your plans. But I brought a kite today. A kite, yeah. A Winnie the Pooh kite. See, when I was a little girl, we used to fly kites all the time. We used to go to the shore, and we used to fly them on the beach. And it was so much fun that you could run along the beach flying a kite and all the kites would be up in the air, and it would look so pretty to see them all flying. We used to see who could get the longest tail on their kite. 
Yeah, it was kind of fun. Whoops. Let me put it in the right way here. Um, but a kite. Now, you need the wind to fly a kite, right? If I were to fly the kite in here, it wouldn't work too well, unless maybe we all blew, right? If we all blew, maybe I could fly my kite? Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I could throw it, it might glide, but that's not flying. So, how do we know that there's the wind? Has anybody ever seen the wind? You wet your finger, and then you put your finger up like that. Okay, so you can put your finger up and you can feel it. Yep. You can also feel it when it's blowing at you, right? When the wind is blowing on your face, it, it gets in my hair and it messes it all up. Yeah, or sometimes it blows things at you. So you can see results. You see the results. So when it's windy, you can watch the leaves on the trees blow, or the flowers kind of blended like that, well, or the snow drifting. <laughs> so you can see it, and you can feel it. Now, I also can hear the wind. Sometimes when it's windy, you can hear it blowing through the crack in the door or something. You can hear it blowing the branches against the windows. Yeah. So we know the wind is there because we can feel it, we can see it, and we can hear it. And we can fly a kite in it. Now, how many of you have ever seen God? Have you ever seen God? Yes? You saw God? Awesome. How did you see God? In your house? You saw God in your house? That's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, most people say they have not actually seen God. He's in the sky with Joker? Oh, is he straightening Joker out? Okay. All right. Well, God's definitely up there. But God's also right here. Yeah, right here with us, right now. Now, how do we know God's here? We just said we don't see him. I don't see him sitting there. But we can see how he moves. His right? results, like Sandy said. Mm -hmm. His results, like Sandy said. Yes, his results, what he does, how he moves through people and makes things happen the way he wants them to happen. We can feel his presence with us. Sometimes you just know that God's right there, giving you a hug when you need it. And we can hear him. Say it again. Yeah, we can hear the wind, but we can hear, hear God speaking when, through his word, through the Bible. And sometimes we hear it through other people, when other people tell us things, right? And our scripture today talks about love and how much God loves us. And God doesn't love just us. He loves everybody. So one of the things that we can do is let everybody know, because they might not be able to hear God speaking, that we can be God's voice and speak to them and let them know how much God loves them. Maybe kind of like a kite flying in the air, people can see it. They can see the wind because of the kite. 
maybe God will be able to see, our people will be able to see God through us and the way we act and the way we talk and the things we say to people and just the presence that we have with them. Yes, we can make a noise and talk and say, I love you. Yep, sometimes we can whisper it. And sometimes we can shout it, I love you. And sometimes we can say, God loves you. And sometimes we can shout, God loves you. Yep, and sometimes we just make mouth movements and we don't actually say anything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it has to come from down here in our hearts. <laughs> sometimes we say things that we don't really mean, but one of the things we're going to make sure we do lately, or coming up, because Valentine's Day is coming, and we always tell people we love them on Valentine's Day, right? But we shouldn't just wait till Valentine's Day. We should do it every day. So let's try to remember to show people God the way, by the way things we do, tell people, and let them feel God's presence. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the wind. Sometimes we like it more than others, but thank you for it anyway. It lets us fly kite and know that you are there. Help us to let others know that you are there by the way we act, the way we move in this world, the things we say, and the things we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, please be with my words and all of our hearts. Please help us to hear and receive what you want for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes, more than others, the sermon is at least as much for the pastor as it is for the people. This week, I wrote this sermon on Tuesday afternoon, which I usually try to do. I try to get it done-ish on Tuesday, and then I have the rest of the week to kind of mull things over. And this time, almost as soon as I was done writing the first draft, um, I read a post by my friend Robert, and he said in his post, I want to live in such a way that it is evident that God really loves me. And because I had just been working on this sermon from 1 John chapter 4, I was like, oh, this is exactly what this sermon is about. Living in such a way that it is evident that God really loves us. And I was like, this is, I want to live like that too. And I want to somehow communicate that to everybody here, that God really loves you and it's important that we live like it. And then after that, I had a whole week where... I realized that I am not as far along in my own knowledge of God's loving me as I thought. <laughs> um, and things, I, I got upset about some things. None of this stuff was to do with here, by the way. Um, some stuff in my personal life. I, got, I, I started to feel really bad about myself. And when I feel bad about myself, or when I doubt that, especially when I doubt God's love for me, I know in my head God loves me, 
But a lot of times, you don't feel like God loves you, right? And when I don't feel like God loves me, <clears throat> it actually affects other people. Because I become defensive, or grumpy, or self-protective, and that was happening. Um, and so I really had to think about this passage this week a lot. And I am more convinced than ever that living in such a way that it is evident that God loves us is how we glorify God. That is the most glorifying thing you can do. Um, and the reason is because when we know for sure that we are loved by God and we can live like it, that is what fuels us and enables us to truly love God and each other. Our passage today tells us we love because he first loved us. We do not muster up love for God on our own. And you know that on a human level, it's really hard to love somebody if they tell you to, but don't give you a reason. <laughs> Or if you can tell that they don't really like you very much, right? It's really hard to love someone that does not love you back. And we can love God because he loved us first. We don't have to try to love him first so that then he'll love us. It's the other way around. So one of you last week after the, first, after the service asked me, if the reason <clears throat> human beings were made was so that we could glorify God, if our whole point, the whole point of our existence is so we could glorify God, which is what I said last week, doesn't that make God an egomaniac? What do you think? No. Why not? Okay. Okay, it's good for us to love him. Right. Right. We cannot wrap our heads around how huge and glorious God is. But anybody else on the planet, anybody, no matter how good and great they are, if they said, all I need you to do for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be super nice to you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to do all this stuff. All you have to do is make me look good. That would sound like an egomaniac or a narcissist or, or something like that. The difference is, we said last week that glory, real, gl glory really is the essence of someone or something. And the essence of God is love. God is love. Our passage tells us that, and the Bible shows it. The glory of, if the glory of God is love, then him making us to glorify him is not self-centered. It's actually the opposite. The glory of God is not his power. The glory of God is not even his goodness or his justice or his holiness. God is powerful and God is good and God is just and God is holy. 
but that is not the core of who he is. Those things are all ways that God loves us. But God's glory is his love. And love makes all the difference. Love is the starting point. If you go to seminary, you will have to take a class or a few classes about theology, and they will tell you all these different ideas that people have had about God and how the Christian faith works, and sometimes it's interesting and sometimes it's less interesting, and some of the ideas that people have had, you can tell they're just nuts, and other ones seem to make more sense. And a lot of times, your seminary professor, I don't care which seminary you go to, I suspect that many professors will say something like this. Um, this, they'll usually tell you which views they don't agree with, and they'll say something like, some people hold these views because they start with the love of God, and it's just too permissive, it's just too wishy-washy, that's not a good place to start. Well, I disagree. <laughs> Love makes all the difference. Love is the, is the starting point. Love should be the starting point. If God is love, why are we not starting with love? Someone said, and I'm not going to quote this exactly right because I can't remember who said it or where it is, <laughs> but the idea was the most loving thing a perfectly loving being could do would be to make other beings to experience and express that love. If there's a being out there who is perfectly loving, which is what we're saying God is, then love needs an object, right? And so the more loving this being is, the more he would create so that he would have more beings to love. And those beings could grow in his love and learn to love too. So creation was made out of love. We were made out of love. And if we are not living in love, first loving God, we are not only not glorifying God, but we are diminishing ourselves. It is bad for us. It's not just sin, it's not sinful to not glorify God. It's bad for us. It's like we are not being our full selves, and we are cutting ourselves off from love, which is kind of nuts if you think about it. Just because human love is disordered, which it is, all of, our, all of us, no matter how loving we are, our love is disordered because we are in a sinful, broken world, and it affects how we're able to love. Just because human love is disordered does not mean that we should avoid or gloss over or ignore the truth that God's glory is love and love is God's glory. Amen. In fact, because human love is disordered, that is all the more reason that God's love should be our starting point. How else are we going to know what love is? Right? And so we should 
always, always keep in mind that God is love. That will help us read our Bibles better. It will help us view each other better. And it will help us view our own lives better if we start with the fact that God is love. So John says in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is a little bit, if you take this at surface value, there's some maybe ideas that you might go, is that right? <laughs> Here's what I think John might be implying. If God is love, and God is the creator of everything, all other love comes from God. That is, the only reason there is love anywhere is because of God, who is love. That's not to say that our love is not going to be disordered. It is. We already talked about that. But if there is love in any little glimmers and glimpses anywhere, whether people know about God, believe in God, any of that stuff, any love comes from God. We've said in a couple of years ago there was one sermon where we talked about how all truth is God's truth. If it's true, it's God's. You could say that all love, if it's really love, is God's love. Then John says, he keeps going with this, these weird ideas, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God? What? All right, so let's say this. Not everything in the world that looks like love is truly love. Sometimes, actually quite often, it is the exact emotional neediness and selfishness and manipulation that we accuse God of having when we feel uncomfortable with the idea that God wants us to glorify him. Because we are selfish and needy and manipulative in our love, we assume that that's what God is like too but he's not. So not everything that looks like love or that we call love is really love. And some love, that there really is some love there, is disordered or even diseased. But if there is any genuine love there, that love, even that teeny little grain of it mixed up in all the other mess, is from God and is a glimpse of his glory. And in that sense, that person, anyone who loves, knows God. I really believe that God puts those little glimmers and glitters of love in people everywhere because that's a way that he can get in. If people are paying attention. A baby who is born with severe birth defects is a human being. Right? even though we might lament the disfigurement or the limitations. So just like that, 
disordered love may still be love even if it's pointing in the wrong direction or it's being realized in a way that doesn't match up with what God desires and designed us for. And it doesn't mean that we don't try to correct that love, but we can acknowledge that there is love which is something of God in a situation. In verse 8, John says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John is writing to a church, this is a letter, to a church, and so you got to think that he might be saying, there are some people in the church, in the church that he was writing to, or maybe some other churches, who are not actually very loving. There are some really unloving people in some churches. And I think John might be hinting that it's possible that there are some people outside of the church who on some level, maybe not consciously, but on some level know God a little better than some people in the church. Because if the glory of God is love, and there's somebody in a church who's not tapping into that love, well then, do they really know God? In verses 9 and 10, John says, this is how God showed his love among us. This is the kind of love that is at the heart of God. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love of God is sacrificial self-sacrificial. And the love of God is first. It's where it all begins. He, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We can become able to love God, but not until we know that he loved us enough to send his son to atone for our sins. Our sins are wiped out because of the love of God. Think back to the glorified Jesus that we looked at last week for a second. In the heavens, exalted as Lord of all, the glory love of God apparently looks like a blazing-eyed, shiny-footed Jesus with a mouth sword. That doesn't really translate here. <laughs> we don't know how that equates to love. So, how God showed his love among us was by sending his son to live among us as one of us and not just show us how to live true human lives, but also so that we could receive eternal reconciled, which is also loving, life in connection with him. Love comes from God. So we didn't get reconciled to God because we're inherently so loving. We just... We just are, and we loved him first, and then he was like, oh, they're kind of cute. No. He loved us first. He wiped the record of our sins, and that gives us the power of life, which life comes from God, and God is love. So the power of life is love. John is saying, listen, guys, that self-sacrificing, love-giving way is how God loved us. So if that's true, of course we should love each other. We cannot possibly sacrifice as much as he did to love each other. 
In verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So that's sort of not true, because John saw Jesus, and Jesus said in John's gospel, <laughs> whoever had seen him had seen the Father. Um, but I think John's point is that we don't walk around and, and, oh, here's God visible here all the time, and we, don't, we certainly don't see Jesus with the mouth sword on a regular basis. The point he's trying to make is we see God in the love between us. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God can live in our lives, which is kind of what we were singing about with the Holy Spirit song. God comes down, he rests on us, but he actually also wants to live in us. And we can live in his life because of the Holy Spirit, because we know and make known the truth that God the Father sent his Son to save the world. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Now this might sound like a theological statement, a doctrinal statement. It is. Um, this is the kind of thing that you would talk about in seminary. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. But verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I think, well, this is maybe not the core verse of this passage, but it's the one that's really standing out to me this week. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Acknowledging that the Father sent his Son and then his Spirit, the way that John writes about it, is way more than nodding our heads yes. Yep, I acknowledge it. Acknowledgement in English sounds kind of like really minimal commitment. <laughs> um, it is so much more than that, the way that John is talking about it. Acknowledging that God the Father sent his Son and loved us through his sacrificial death and resurrection is acceptance and it is an act of love. When we acknowledge by receiving God's love, for ourselves, that is how we first start to glorify God. We rely on the love God has for us. This is really closely related to my friend Robert's point. I want to live in such a way that it is evident that God really loves me. How else can you make it evident that God loves you? Rely on it. Last week, we contemplated the glorified Jesus and talked about how it's important to remain in awe of God and not take him lightly. And we did that on purpose, because it is. And then in Morning Quiet this week, that topic came up again, and we also talked about how it's actually not inappropriate to be a little actually afraid of God, because he could mess you up. <laughs> he could. And we need to acknowledge that, and I'm going back to that verse in Amazing Grace where it says, Grace taught my heart to fear. 
you got to have that realization that I am just kind of messed up here, and there's God, and God is, God could mess me up even more than I already messed myself up. But grace also relieves our fears. John is encouraging us that after grace teaches our hearts to fear, which it needs to do, that is a grace, grace needs to relieve our fears. We should not stay in that state of fear. Respect? Yes. Fear? No. We should accept Jesus' love as he reaches out to us and touches us on the shoulder like he did to John last week and tells us not to be afraid. We rely on the love God has for us. We live in such a way that it is evident God loves us. John says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. I love that. We glorify God by becoming like Jesus, which is to say, by loving God and, as a consequence, each other. We're always saying, what would Jesus do if he were you? Love you. That's what he would do. He would love you. And when we are like Jesus in this world, with the help of the Holy Spirit that God gave us, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. No more fear, guys. God is an awesome God. He could mess you up. But he doesn't want to. And his love sacrificed everything to reconcile you to him. We got to rely on that love. John tells us, Fear has to do with punishment. But we don't need to be afraid of being punished anymore. God sacrificed too much of, in his love for us to not rely on that love and get stuck in our fear. It doesn't glorify God if his people run around afraid of him. doesn't. So afraid of him that then we become afraid to love each other with as much self-sacrifice and abandonment as he loved us. Love is where it all begins. We love because he first loved us. When we acknowledge, by which I mean, and I think John meant, but when we accept and rely on God's glorious sacrificial love for us, we don't lose our awe. When you have a glimpse of how much God loves you and how trustworthy that love is and how that's never going to let you go into punishment and you don't have to be afraid, you don't lose that awe. That's insane. That love is incredible. You actually grow, the more you rely on that love, the more you lose your fear, the greater your awe will grow. There is no other love like this. 
No other love this perfect. And when we're really relying on it, our awareness and our awe grows. And then we are also freed up to love him, which frees us up to love each other. And that is how we glorify God. Lord, this is big stuff, and we can, we can acknowledge these things in our brains and still not exactly know what we think about it or certainly what we feel about it. Please help us, Lord. Please help us to rely on your love. We love you, too. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.